Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. The sun rose a little before 4.30 this morning in Nome, Alaska, and it won't set until almost 2 in the morning tomorrow. We'll hear from someone in Nome today about marking the midnight sun. It's the longest day of the year, and we'll also hear how the summer solstice plays into some tribal traditions and stories from Hawaii to the Southern Plains. How do you mark the summer solstice? Call in and let us know. We're back right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Alaska Native leaders continue to digest the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling last week on the Indian Child Welfare Act, which rejected efforts to overturn a law that's been in place for more than four decades. Valerie Davidson is an Alaska Native attorney who has dealt with ICWA for much of her career. She served as a commissioner for health and social services and helped negotiate a tribal compact that led to improved services for Alaska Native children in child custody cases. She's now president of the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium, which also works to protect the health and well-being of Native children. Davidson applauded the court's decision for many reasons, but mainly, she says, it helps keep decisions about child welfare closer to home. Part of it is really an issue of practicality, for example. So if you have a child who is in a small village with an average population of 300 people, and there is no state agency physically there to be able to do that intervention, but the tribe is there and can intervene immediately, that's a much better outcome. Davidson, who grew up in the Yupik communities of Bethel and Antioch, has firsthand knowledge about the challenges of providing services to children in remote areas. She says tribes can help within minutes to assist, where state social workers might have to travel by airplane from Anchorage, which can take hours, weeks, and sometimes months. Tribes have had decades of proven track record of improving programs really through incredible innovation. Those tribal partnerships are happening everywhere. Davidson says had ICWA been overturned, it could have jeopardized programs that have been decades in the making. Gone Native, a series of animated digital shorts, is using comedy to help educate people about Indigenous life. Hannah Bissett with KNBA has more. Gone Native has been in the works for the last five years. First debuting in film festivals, the inspiration for the short series comes from a surprising place. Joey Clift is a writer. A Facebook post that a few friends of mine made a few years ago about the protest against the, at the time, unfortunately named um, Washington, D.C. NFL team's name. And somebody commented on the post saying something to the effect of, hey, I just got my DNA test in the mail and it says I'm one one hundredth Indian. And personally, I think the team name is fine. So everybody just lay off. Cliff's the creative writer behind the five episode short series. He says that after this internet encounter, he wanted to find quick, comedic, and educational material to show to the person, and most he could see were longer think pieces. In response to this lack of material, he created his own. He says the response to the shorts has been immense, with millions of views over various platforms. It's so validating to see that something that I created didn't just like make people laugh, but like it's equipping like native kids 
easy jokes that they can use to like diffuse what would otherwise a bummer, you know, racial microaggression situation. Clift wants everyone who listens to the series to learn something new. According to a recent study from Illuminative, 87% of state history standards across the United States for the curriculum of K-12 does not mention Native American history after the 1900s. And I think that that lack of education is what has led to so many of these just like weird microaggressions against Native people that have made it into the mainstream just because people like don't know any better. This series has seen praise internet-wide, giving indigenous people short comedic material to educate peers. hope you watch the series, but I also hope you go to gonnative.tv and click around, read some of those links, and just get a little bit more educated about these issues so that uh, I don't have to correct bosses when they call a meeting a powwow ever again. <laughs> I'm Hannah Bissett. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. More at aarp.org. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy filling in for Sean Spruce. Depending on where you are in the country, you could see anywhere from 14 to 16 hours of daylight today. The longest day of the year is something Native astronomers give a great deal of attention to. Many surviving structures designed by our Native ancestors take the position of the sun at key moments of the day into account. And the day is central to some sacred ceremonies, too. What are you doing to mark the summer solstice? Today, we'll hear accounts from Hawaii, Alaska, and the plains of Oklahoma about the significance of today. We'd also like to hear from you. Does your tribe have a story or tradition you can tell us about? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. If you'd like, you can reach out to us on Facebook, on Instagram, or on our webpage, NativeAmericaCalling.com. And if you tuned in today for a different show, just know we had to reschedule our originally scheduled show for a later date. Joining us now from uh, ho um, uh, Hawaii is, um, let's see, we have, uh, <clears throat> sorry. Kanoa uh, Horkajo. He is a cultural consultant with the Molelo Group, and he's Kanaka Maoli. Welcome back to Native America Calling, Kanoa. Hi, thank you, Andy. Great to be back. Aloha. Aloha to you. Uh, so the summer solstice um, uh, is, is a pretty big deal in Hawaii. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, well, you know, I think one of the main things what's what's unique about 
um, us here in Hawaii with Kanaka Maoli is that all of Hawaii actually exists within the tropics. So throughout the time that the sun travels from the south to the north in between the, the tropics, the sun is directly overhead at some point uh, to us. So we're not watching it from a distance. We actually get to see it directly overhead. And in our mythology and our creation stories, uh, the, the point at which the sun travels the farthest north, we call Keala Poluhiva Akane, or the glittering black path of Kane, that separates the, the living world from the afterworld. And, and in some stories, it's at that point that begins um, our life and our journey in, in this realm and on these islands. Oh, wow. Oh wow! So, um, so how does this connect uh, to Hawaiian uh, deities, and what is the connection between uh, the sun and the volcanoes there? Yeah, well, so in in the stories of Pele, and and a lot, most people, if there's a god, kind of uh, foreigners are familiar with, they're probably familiar with Pele. People call her the goddess of the volcano. Of course, in Hawaiian thought, she, she isn't the goddess of the volcano. She is the volcano. She is lava. She becomes these, these things. They are manifestations of her. Uh, if you travel up to the line of the tropic, uh, there's actually an island that exists right on that point. So during today at summer solstice, the sun comes directly to its zenith above this island called Mokumanamana. Mana, of course, that's spiritual energy, or Moku'a Kamoho Ali'i. Kamoho Ali'i was our, our shark god who carried his sister Pele to that island, and that was the first volcano that she actually made. And in successive millennia and times, she would travel down and make more and more volcanoes, uh, each time being being overcome by her sister until she developed all of the large Hawaiian islands, the ones that we know about, Kauai, Oahu, Lanai, Molokai, Maui, and of course Hawaii Island where Pele still resides, uh, uh, continually making new land there. But it all started at the Tropic of Cancer um, where the sun is today. All right. And um, I was doing a little bit of research uh, yesterday about all of this. It's, you know, very fascinating. I mean, it just gives an idea about, um, you know, how how great uh, Native astronomers uh, are and uh, were, you know, way back generations ago. Um, and uh, I came across Lahaina uh, Noon. What is Lahaina. that? Lahaina. Lahaina Noon. What is that? Yeah, so Lahaina Noon is a term that we use to designate uh, the zenith day, so when the sun is directly overhead, right? And so in, in, in large parts of the world and large parts of um, our, our brothers and sisters on Turtle Island, the sun never gets directly overhead. You're, you're looking at it from an angle. We call that day, the modern term is Lahaina Noon. We also call it Kaukala Ikalolo or Lolopua. Lolopua means the flowering of the brain. And so you can imagine then the sun is, is literally directly overhead you. All shadows recede. And so you as a human, as a spiritual being, stand in direct alignment between the sun above and the earth below with you as, as, as the connection point between those two celestial objects. 
that time that occurs at different points, right? Every every day at different points as the sun travels north towards the northern tropic and south um, at a different place, that is a, a time of great spiritual energy for for us where we will do ceremony, we will honor the gods, and we will honor our, our connection and our commitment to future generations. Nice. Nice. And so what does uh, the, the summer solstice bring into, um, uh, into your, your lives? Like, is it, a, is it a day where now, you know, a different kind of farming starts or now this is what we do, um, you know, from, from here until it's winter? Is there uh, something that it brings into uh, your lives there? Yeah, ki- kind of those things, yes. So, you know, for us, and, and it depends on the island, it depends on the side of the island, because being in the middle of the Pacific, um, our geography shapes so much of our calendar. But much like our brothers and sisters around the world, the summer solstice dictates a, a changing of time, right? It dictates, uh, it's part of the, the Earth calendar, the natural calendars. And we talk a lot about the moon calendar, the, the earth calendar. And then we go look at a piece of paper to tell us what day it is, right? Mm-hmm. But traditional time, we'd obviously have these places, these specific places, whether they're heiau or, or temple or just other uh, spiritual places that we call wahipana, that we would have noted where the sun set, where the sun rose, um, and use that to dictate, okay, now we know it is it is a, a time, of course, yes, for for us, for summer solstice, it's a time of, of planting. It's a time of expansion, whether that is sort of large capital improvement projects, you know, building new roads to connect families or, or expanding on the temples to have greater connection with our akua or our deities. But also those times to, to take out the, the canoes into the ocean to go fish, to do things that benefit our family and our community. All right. All right. And, and so what kind of uh, uh, celebrations and festivities are happening today in, uh, in Hawaii? Well, you know, the, the people that do celebrate Kealapolihi uh, Wakane, that do celebrate the solstice, uh, it's a time of reflection. We'll be doing um, ava ceremony, which is a, a, a ceremony in which we sit around in a circle. We consume uh, ava, which is a, a plant called Piper Mysticum, uh, like a light muscle relaxant combined with water. Both of those are manifestations of our deities, Kane and Kanaloa. Kane and Kanaloa traveled around the world uh, at the beginning of time, and everywhere they sprinkled some of that ava water, new life sprung up. So we honor them traveling around bringing plant life and animal life to us and we share reflections of of ourself of our our time in this place and we recommit to ourselves and to our families and to our culture uh, and and we also you know recognize where the sun is at at its at its rise and at its set all right. Uh, you know, Hawaii is, is a really big uh, tourist draw. And uh, I can imagine, you know, non, a lot of non-native, um, non-Hawaiian uh, tourists and folks, you know, going over. Um, uh, of course, you know, it, it's tourist season. <laughs> it's probably uh, full uh, of tourists right now. But, um, you know, are, are, do you see tourists um, and, and non-Hawaiians try to uh, invoke Sarah ceremonies or traditions on uh, this day there as well? 
well, it feels like it's always tourist season over mm. here. <laughs> and, but um, we we do, and, and you know, there there are many groups uh, and many people who we still reserve certain ceremonies and, and protocols, uh, sort of in a in a in a more select group. Um, but there are an expanding opportunity for residents, uh, you know, non-Kanaka, non-native residents of Hawaii to get involved with these things um, and for tourists to do so as well, uh, especially when they're connected to a cultural group. Um, we have amazing hula groups uh, on island. We have amazing other kind of cultural groups and nonprofits connected to places like Haleakala, like Mauna Kea, um, that that are engaging in in um, you know events and activities that welcome outside to to come in and and witness or take part. But and that that's sort of we're really you know kind of we're in an expansion mode with that as well. I will say. Okay. All right. And um, for for folks who are, um, you know, uh, do, do parks work with uh, Kanaka Maoli to make sure that, um, you know, certain sacred places are not inundated with uh, visitors at a certain time, maybe during today? Yeah. Yes, they do. Um, and and our, our national parks, um, our state parks, and, and even our county parks have been have been really good about providing space for us to to practice protocol. Um, that's a it's a continually it's a working process, of course. You know, depending on kind of who's around, but the the solstices, the equinoxes, and that time that that we call Lolopua okay. are becoming increasingly well known to the the parks. Uh, you know, people uh, and they're, and they're yeah. Sorry, we're gonna go to break. We'll be right back after this. A few recent legal decisions promise to have lasting positive influences on tribal self-governance. At the same time, policy decisions pushed at the state and federal levels pose serious threats to tribes' rights to self-control over their people and land. We'll get a rundown of the state of tribal self-governance coming up on the next Native America Calling. Hamitakipiki,akichitakinichopelo,awanchegalakapo,akichita,iekichihantu,wichakopo,oyatiki,nanichishimpi,ktelo,isama,soliachihanta,lil,ya,yo,go,dot,cms,dot,gov,slash,
Yeah, sure. Um, I know I'm on the island of Maui. Of course, here on Maui, we have the mountain called Haleakala or, or the house of the sun. Another name for Haleakala is Alaheakala. Alaheakala means the calling path of the sun. So it's not just about uh, uh, where the sun lives, but it's about the movement of the sun. And in fact, today up on the summit of Haleakala at 10,000 something uh, feet in elevation, there are uh, a group of Kanaka Maoli and, and others practicing um, their culture and doing ceremony to honor the solstice. I believe the same thing is happening on our other islands of Mauna Kea, uh, Mauna Loa, and, um, and, and also all across the islands. We uh, celebrate a number of, of celestial moments uh, that, that correspond with the sun, of course, the solstices, and then in between we have what are called, uh, or the equinoxes that we call Pico o Wakea, or the, the navel of Wakea, Wakea being Sky Father, one of our primordial deities, uh, and then that time that's called Lolo Pua. So for those of us, any natives, any peoples living in the tropics, there's that time uh, of the year. Now it's actually two days where the sun will rest directly overhead of your place. Once when it's traveling north, once when it's traveling south. And in between that time, of course, it, it, it drifts down to each tropic. For us, that time of Lolo Pua is a time of significant energy. Uh, it's a time to make changes to your life to make uh, pacts with yourself and with your your spirit um, to to honor your future generations and to honor your past generations and so from this day of summer solstice now we will watch the sun march its way down the island chain uh, from the north to the south slowly arriving to Kauai and then Oahu uh, looking for that time when the sun comes directly overhead until we bid adieu to it again as it keeps on traveling towards the equator and then down to the south. And we mark all of those times to understand, as you asked before, what it's proper to plant, to, to fish, uh, to harvest, and also what not to harvest, what not to fish, because those times are also dictated by where the sun is. All right. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, uh, Kanoa. Um, I, I want to bring in another guest uh, from uh, Oklahoma City in um, uh, the First Americans Museum. We have Adrienne Lollyhole Hills. Uh, she's the Director of Learning and Community Engagement at the First Americans Museum, and she is a Wyandotte Nation citizen. Welcome to Native America Calling, calling Adrienne. Hello, Andy. It's good to hear from you. Good to hear from you on the air, too. Uh, so, you know, the First Americans Museum, FAM, is is what it's also known as, too, has an amazing architecture st story. We've, um, you know, covered the opening of uh, the First Americans Museum, uh, you know, back when it when it opened um, mm -hmm. a year a year ago, uh, two years ago, um, and and you were just telling me the other day how the summer solstice fits into the the architecture there. Um, why why was it important for uh, the the summer solstice to have a connection there? Right, right. Well, you're correct. 
So First Americans Museum opened in September of 2021. Um, so we've been open for almost two years to the public. But even before we opened to the public, um, uh, we had gatherings that were almost ad hoc gatherings um, to observe the summer solstice and the winter solstice on our grounds. And so that's a tradition we're continuing with large public events to commemorate those two important days. Um, and indeed, the probably the key architectural feature of our campus is a large 21st century interpretation of an ancestral mound. Um, you know, uh, many of the 39 tribes in Oklahoma today come from mound building cultures. And so we wanted to make that ancestral connection um, when we were planning the architecture. Now, our mound is considerably more simple than some of the ancestral mounds, which tracked, you know, cosmological phenomena and cycles over decades. Um, but ours is oriented to the summer and winter solstice. So tonight at about 8.15, the sun will set on the tip of our mound. Um, and so we have, we welcome our native and non-native community members to come and celebrate with us and to reflect on the changing of the seasons um, and kind of a fun intertribal social, social gathering. Right. So in building this mound um, and and really taking into account the sun's position on uh, this this day and this evening, um, mm-hmm. was there something that, um, you know, did you guys have to uh, I- involve like tribal elders or, um, you know, other folks to to help with that? Like, you know, who was all mm-hmm. involved in, in building this? Mound? Yeah. Um, so well before my time, because this project has and several decades um, in planning. Um, The architectural firm, which is out of Los Angeles, worked closely with FAM staff and community members to ensure that, you know, this is an authentic thing that's authentic to us. Um, It is something that there is this durable connection to these ancestral people. Um, And we also wanted to make sure that this is appropriate for the broader public to engage in, right? We have to really be careful about sharing what we can share um, and working with community members to make sure that we're being um, respectful of specific ceremonies or knowledge or practice and protocol. Um, Mm -hmm. So certainly there were many conversations um, about the design um, and later interpretation of the mound. Got it. And, um, you know, for folks who may not be familiar with, uh, you know, a mound, what is mm-hmm. what is a mound besides, you know, just you know, physically it's a it's it's a mound. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so mounds have, you know, they're almost a universal thing. You know, you see evidence of, of earthworks and earthen structures across the globe. You know, similar to the fact that solstice is something that is observed by cultures, you know, internationally. Um, So that's something that we all have in common is this connection to earth. But specifically within mound building cultures, um, many of our ancestral people Um, constructed these large complexes with really sophisticated 
um, urban structures. And they could do a couple things. You had platform mounds that would hold structures on top of them, you know, ceremonial buildings or the dwellings of something, somebody important. Um, you have effigy mounds where they, you know, like serpent mounds in Ohio, where they represent specific um, animals or symbols. Uh, and then you have observational mounds, which are, you know, oriented to the cosmos above and kind of serve as a scientific tool. My favorite mound I like to share with people, and it's one that the Wyandotte people have a, a connection with, although, you know, um, we are we were newcomers to the Midwest at one point as well, mm-hmm. is the Newark Earthworks in Ohio. It's a series of about four square miles, it's a network of mounds, and it tracks lunar rises over the course of 18.6 years. And I really like to use that to illustrate the, the technological and scientific achievement of our ancestors. Um, because in addition to building these mounds that could last hundreds of years, even a millenn- you know, millennia, um, they were creating them in orientation to things that only happened every couple of decades. So that really suggests a mastery and command of astronomy um, mathematics, um, and engineering. Right. Right. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, Ohio, um, you know, there's also the serpent mound there. Mm-hmm. And, um, I want to, I want to go to, uh, you know, a guest we have on, uh, right now we have, uh, chief Glenna Wallace of the Eastern Shawnee tribe of Oklahoma. Um, uh, welcome to Native America calling chief Wallace. Thank you. Good to be here with you. Yeah, and um, you are at Serpent Mound right now. Is that is that correct? And and uh, I am correct. I am here at Serpent Mound, which is near <laughs> Peebles, Ohio, oh, and awesome. uh, it's a, a top uh, of. It is indeed a, a effigy mound. It is in the shape the, the name tells it, Serpent Mound. It is a very large, large mound. Mm-hmm. Certainly not one that is large in height. It's it's long in length. And uh, probably, oh, maybe three to five feet, depending upon uh, what part of the mound that you are looking at. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, so how does, um, how does today factor into um, the, the, uh, the serpent mound and, and its connection with uh, the, tr- the tribe there? Today is the beginning of summer, and it is the summer solstice, which is the longest day of the year. And uh, I think it speaks to the the close connection that tribes had with nature, um, with their earth, with, with the, the creation of this place. They were respectful. Uh, uh, we like to think that uh, we were the first environmentalists and that we took care of the land and, and did not abuse it. So we came together to celebrate this longest day and the serpent that was connected. My tribe is the Eastern Shawnee tribe. Of the three federally recognized Shawnee tribes all located in Oklahoma, uh, we are are probably uh, not, uh, we've, we've lost, uh, temporarily lost much of our uh, ceremonials, et cetera, uh, our clans, and so the Shawnee tribe is the one of the three tribes that has the serpent as one of its clan 
members. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, they will be speaking in a panel here in just a few minutes uh, talking about that. So I'm anxious to hear what they have to say. Uh, right. We come to honor the abilities of our ancestors um, to do these things, as, as mentioned earlier, they had to have an extreme knowledge just a extreme knowledge of astronomy. They knew all about the, mo- the moon, the sun, the stars, their movements, uh, their locations, uh, how they interact with the seasons, how they interact with, with the, the weathers that we have. And um, they also had to be tremendous mathematicians as uh, Serpent Mound is entirely different from Newark Earthwork Mounds, which is also located in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the town of Newark, and that one um, is uh, rather than being a serpent or rather than being uh, a burial place is a series of walls that were constructed as uh, almost as though they would be uh, a fence or a, circ- a, 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 a method of separating the land from this this ceremonial land, this spiritual land and so those walls will vary from four to five feet in height up to 14 feet high and all of that soil was brought by Native Americans who were located in many other places of the United States and they brought the soil from their countries uh, and that included some of the things that would have been in their country. We don't all have the same minerals. We don't have all have the same rocks or, or whatever. And so mm-hmm. uh, you will, in these, find traces uh, from various parts of the United States. So uh, just as we hear of, of people wanting to make a journey to Mecca and believe that that is part of their culture and they need to be there, that's what our Native ancestors did. And they came from all parts of the United States here to Serpent Mound and to Newark Earthwork to celebrate their culture and to participate in, in the this summer solstice. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, the tribe, uh, your tribe, Eastern Shawnee uh, Tribe of Oklahoma, just recently, quote, returned to the Serpent Mound in uh, Ohio. Uh, can you take us through that journey? Um, I know you, you just mentioned, you know, there was a separation of uh, culture and tradition and, and, and some knowledge with, um, you know, removal, physical removal from that area. But um, what was that journey like for uh, the tribe to return and um, really get that, that uh, Serpent Mound story right? Removal is extremely important in our tribe in that the Indian Removal Act was passed in 1830. We were, along with what is now known as the Seneca Tayuga, we were sharing a reservation uh, near Wapakoneta, Ohio, and uh, we lived together on that reservation, there being at one end of it and our being at the other end, and we were known as the mixed band of Senecas and Shawnees. When the Indian Removal Act was passed in 1830, we were the first tribe who was forced to the first two tribes together who were forcibly removed from Ohio. And we walked on foot, our ancestors did, from Ohio to Indian Territory, which is a a space of 700 to 800 miles. That happened from September through December, whenever we arrived. So uh, we had not been back to Ohio uh, as a tribe since that time. And uh, we, uh, in uh, 2007, 
did our first return to Ohio. We, we brought two buses, and we had about 100 tribal citizens who came, and it was a, a spiritual uh, reconnecting. We reconnected at Newark. We did not come to Serpent Mound here. Uh, we came to Serpent Mound for the first time officially about uh, three years ago. And there were just some practices, some actions that were uh, inappropriate and inconsistent with our culture uh, that we uh, chose to speak with Ohio History Connection, who is the official caretaker of historic sites here in Ohio, and voiced our concerns about what was happening. Um, it's not enough to just voice your concerns. Uh, you have to be willing to come back and talk about why those are concerns and what needs to happen to change that. And so uh, we've come back uh, willingly uh, each year uh, for the solstices to present programs and for the people to ask questions uh, mm -hmm. of us and, and uh, been well accepted and and um, many things have changed, and it is now, uh, once again, a spiritual place here at Serpent Mound. Okay. All right, we'll be back after this break. We're talking about the summer solstice. Smoking gave me COPD, which makes it harder and harder for me to breathe. I have a tip for you. If your doctor gives you five years to live, spend it talking with your grandchildren. Explain to him that your grandpa's not going to be around anymore to share his wisdom and his love. I haven't figured out how to do that yet. I'm running out of time. COPD makes it harder and harder to breathe and can cause death. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. We're marking the summer solstice today. The sun's position today is something that tribes throughout history have recognized for its importance. We'd like to hear from you. What does the summer solstice mean to you? Join our, our discussion at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We have uh, Glenna Wallace with us. She is the chief of the Eastern Shawnee Tribe of Oklahoma, and she's at the Serpent Mound in Ohio. Uh, chief Wallace, what, what would you... Um, um, like folks to uh, further under, understand about uh, the significance of uh, the summer solstice today and how it connects to, to your tribe? Well, the summer solstice, again, you use the word summer. This is the first day of summer and is also the longest day uh, of uh, light. Um, here at Serpent Mound, they don't observe the 18.6 uh, lunar cycle that is uh, observed there um, at Newark Earthwork Mounds. That's one of the best places to talk about that. But here the sun will set in line with the Serpent Mound, and uh, so the evening time, whenever that sun is going down, is the most important time. Uh, all, all cultures have their beliefs and their practices. We simply ask that people realize that as Native Americans, we also have our culture, we have our practices, and just as we try to respect other cultures, uh, we ask that people respect ours. A simple example of that is I always state that I think one of the most beautiful places in the United States is going to Washington, D.C. and traveling out to the uh, Arlington National Cemetery. At Arlington National Cemetery, I would never think about, uh, even though I love my dogs, I would never think about taking my dogs and walking them across uh, John F. Kennedy's grave. 
Um, so uh, I've seen people who, who bring their animals and they let them walk and run all over the, the mounds here. Uh, that's not an act of respect. Uh, I've seen other people um, that do the same with their children, let them run all over the mounds. Mounds are not to be walked upon. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, they are to be respected. And it's difficult to have that spiritual feeling if people are not conducting themselves in a way that's conducive to that spiritual feeling. So we come here trying to uh, educate people, trying to say that um, we have a responsibility. Uh, They may have removed the Native American people from Ohio, but we want to do everything we can to maintain the mounds that our animals preserve their teaching. So, so that we're here today. All right. All right. Uh, Chief Wallace, thank you so much for joining us today. I'll let you get back to uh, your event there over at uh, the, the Serpent Mound in Ohio. Um, I'd like to bring in a caller right now. We have uh, Michael in Hamas Pueblo tuning in on KUNM. Hey, Michael. Hey, how you doing? Good. Go ahead. Yeah, I was uh, I, uh, when I heard uh, summer solstice was was a topic. I right away my my mind went to uh, southern uh, Colorado to Chimney Rock, which is uh, surrounded by the northern. I mean, the, the northernmost uh, uh, what's it called? Southern Ute Reservation. It's a it's a it's a state monument, I think. But because uh, uh, when I was at Fort Lewis College, I hunted on that mesa. Because when you're a Student in uh, in Colorado, you, you, if you're even if you're out of state student yet, uh, you got uh, in-state hunting hunting uh, privilege, right? I hunted on that mesa. That mesa is full of all size uh, kivas, and then at the most northern part is a is a huge rock spiraling to uh, to the heavens. I can see why you know it, it's so sacred, and uh, tribes dance there today. And also at Chaco Canyon, they they danced there, and uh, I think it was Conroy Chino that did a expose on that with a, on a on a I think the, a, the CD is still out, but I mean the DVD is still out, and he he pointed out the different measurements and the solstice and all the star configurations, how they how all those buildings conform to that. Right. Right. Yeah. Thank you so much for that, uh, Michael. If uh, you would like to join our conversation, there's still a little bit of time to join us. Uh, We're talking about the summer solstice. We're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. I want to quickly go back to our guest over at the First American Museum in Oklahoma. We have Adrienne Lowley Hills. uh, oh, she's not. She's not with us. Sorry about that. Uh, let's go over to our guest, uh, Bridie Green, uh, in Nome, Alaska. She's the organizer of the Nome Midnight Sun Festival. She's a shareholder of the um, Sitnatsuak, uh Alaska Native Corporation and the Bering Strait Alaska Native Corporation. Welcome to Native America Calling, Bridie. Hi. Thank you. 
thank you for joining. Um, so, you know, uh, we are talking about uh, the summer solstice, and um, we've been hearing a lot about the, the sun and its movement, mostly in the middle of the day. But this means something totally different for uh, you guys up in Alaska, up in Nome. Um, for those of us who only experience, you know, the 14, 16 hours of daylight today, what is, what is it like, uh, you know, having light most of the day? Are, are people more productive there at night uh, over in Nome? Well, it's up 24 hours a day, and um, it's nice because uh, you can get out in the country and go fishing, and you have daylight the whole time. <laughs> uh, right, right. I, yeah, I, I'm born and raised here, so it's it's nothing new to me. It's just normal. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think maybe it, it, it'd be, um, you know, a good place for, for me as a night owl, uh, you know, oh, to yeah. be able to do things uh, with, with daylight still out there. <laughs> um, yeah. <but> huh? <laughs> you've been you've been a key organizer for the Midnight Sun Festival for, for 10 years. How long has the festival been going on and what, what happens at this festival? Um, it, I think it started in the late 50s or early 60s. It's, yeah, I was born in 61, so um, it's been here ever since I can remember. We're not sure of the date <laughs> that it started, so could have been 1958 maybe. Okay, and, and what goes on at the festival? Um, we have, uh, well, I do all the Native stuff. I do the... Um, Native blanket toss, the um, um, native games, um, uh, also the native dance groups and drummers, and um, I also have the street dance and vendors, you know, selling food and and their crafts, and um, we have a parade and a, a bank robbery, a fake bank robbery. <laughs> And a polar bear swim, as well as a. All right. Uh, we will uh, be working with uh, 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 Bridie to uh, get her line a little bit more clear there. But um, I want to go over to a caller we have right now. We have uh, Rayanne White Duck uh, with us calling in from uh, Ottawa. Hi, Rayanne. Hi, hello everyone from Algonquin Territory here in Ottawa. Hello. So I hear um, you guys are having a summer solstice festival. It is also uh, Indigenous Peoples Day in Canada, is that right? It is, it is. So right. we're very, very busy here at the farm, but we're super excited to start off or kick off our Summer Solstice Indigenous Festival. So it usually starts on National Indigenous Peoples Day today. So we have a lineup of family fun activities. We're going to be having Métis games. We could talk about our Ojibwe spirit horses. We have our creative workshops happening. There's going to be a Nookshook building, Birch Bark uh, wigwam building, canoe building. Oh, we have uh, Métis floral painting. We have our creative uh, workshops. 
We are also doing an elevated picnic uh, in collaboration with Tanchi, which is a Métis charcuterie specialist. And then, of course, happening on our stage, we have a number of different performances from Métis jigging, Inuit throat singing, uh, powwow dancing. And then we're closing off the day or the evening with a first-of-its-kind drone show so we're going to be telling the creation story through a drone show but the fun doesn't stop there it kicks off the rest of the week for our education days and all the schools can come and participate and learn about real indigenous culture uh and then of course our competition powwow that starts on the weekend so we have people from all over canada and the united states that come and join us here to compete at the powwow Awesome. That sounds pretty good. A drone show. That That is awesome. I, I just watched uh, one, I think, over in, in China, and that was, like, mind-blowing what, what folks can do with um, with drones. It's um, pretty awesome. I'd love to see something like that. Um, so, uh, Rianne, um the 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 festival today um you know what what would you like folks to know about um you know uh, just just bringing in indigenous people's day the significance of uh summer solstice today well for us as we know it's the longest day of the year and so traditionally what we would have done is we would have been you know doing ceremony doing a feast and having social events or gatherings Today it's a little bit different, but we still keep that same spirit alive. So we have uh, the whole community and people from all over coming to join us uh, to celebrate, you know, reconciliation. That's a big topic here in Canada. And so the way we see it is the first approaches to reconciliation is to come and learn to start having those conversations. And what better way to do that than National Indigenous Peoples Day on our Madawaki farm? which is also home to our rare and endangered Ojibwe spirit horses. So you get to learn a little bit more about this race of horse that we've been able to begin repopulating. So it is a horse that is traditional to Canada. And so there's that huge misconception that Europeans brought all all the horses over well that's just not true and you get to meet some of our uh, our special hosts live in person if you come and check us out at the farm the only thing i will say about that is it's free admission for everyone however parking is limited but we've worked in collaboration with algonquin college here in ottawa and so we've set up shuttle services and parking there so if people want to come and visit we encourage them to use our shuttles all right. All right. Uh, Rayanne, thank you so much for joining and letting us uh, hear about all the awesome festivities happening there. Happy Indigenous Peoples Day. And um, it is also National Indigenous History Month in Canada as well. Um, I'd like to go back to our guest in Nome, Alaska. We have Bridie Green. Um, Bridie, you were just talking about uh, some of the festivities that uh, are happening during uh, today's Midnight Sun Festival. Um, you know, the, the this year's festival um, is wrapping up over the weekend. What else goes on during uh, the days of the event? Oh, okay. So we have the a blanket toss, the native blanket toss, the Native Games competition, and those are uh, the kids around here in Nome, as well as a village in uh, called Teller, Alaska, which you can drive back and forth to during the summer. 
and we also have um, the Native dance groups join in uh, between uh, three and four dance groups um, and their drummers. And um, we have a street dance, and we also have a parade and a fake thing, a robbery, and the polar bear swim, where people jump into the Bering Sea here, mm-hmm. uh, which is only 40-something degrees. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yeah. And we also have the Nome River Raft Race, okay. which is a lot of fun. Yeah, which is a little ways out of town here. So Yeah. yeah. So uh, the, uh, the festival, the location, it happens uh, on your own property, which is looking out over the ocean there. Uh, why is that place special? Uh, the Golden Goose Lot, because it belonged to my parents. Um, it was They owned a bar there when we were kids growing up in May. Um, um, they quit running it uh, like in the early 70s but um, I wanted to start doing um, the Great Sun Festival there um, because it was easier we owned the property and it's right on Front Street on the east end of Front Street and so my dad wanted to call it um, Golden Goose Lot after their bar (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah it's easy access right off the main road Awesome. All right. And, um, you know, when you're when you were uh, mentioning and listing all the different activities that are going to happen, you mentioned uh, native games. Um, what are some of these games and, and why is it important to add those to the, the festivities, the festival? Well, um, it's important because it brings all the, the young people together and older people. It's not just for teenagers. It's also for adults. Um it's fun and 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 it deals with um, the things they used to do for getting ready for hunting and things like that back in the old days, you know. So um, uh, just keeping in shape and and uh, one of the things they do is a one foot high kick and and the other is a two foot high kick. They um, do the stick pull. Um, this, uh, what else? The seal hop, (laughs) different, different games. All right. Cool. Well, lots happening today on the summer solstice. Um, I'd like to uh, thank our guests we had on the show today. We had uh, Adrian Lolly Hills, uh, Kanoa Har uh, Horkajo, uh, Bridie Green, and Chief Glenna Wallace. Join us again tomorrow when we catch up on recent advances and setbacks for tribal self-governance. I'm Andy Murphy from the Navajo Nation. Sitting in for Sean Spruce today.
Support by Amerind, Indian Country's 100% tribally owned insurance partner. Amerind works with tribal governments and their business enterprises to provide effective commercial insurance coverage, strengthen Native American communities, protect tribal sovereignty, and help keep dollars in Indian Country. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto solutions at Amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Support for this program is provided by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles the issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. What AARP does might surprise people. For more information and resources, including member benefits, AARP advocacy, and more, go to aarp.org. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.